Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show. Michael McDonald and our very special guest, we have Lloyd Remick joining me today. Lloyd, thanks for being a guest on the show. Ah, it's always a pleasure. Good speaking with you, Michael. So Lloyd is a top-rated attorney in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with over 50 years of experience. He's the president of Zane Management, which is a sports, entertainment, and communications consulting and management firm where he deals with high-profile clients on a variety of matters, including legal contract negotiations, expert witness, testimony appearances, and endorsements, amongst a lot of other things. And he also has a book, which I'm sure we are going to talk about as as well. So oh, Lloyd, could you share with us a bit about your background? So where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Well, basically, uh, I was born <laughs> where I'm still practicing law in Philadelphia and um, spent a couple of years in the military as an army lawyer, as a uh, JAG doing uh, government contracts and doing the things you do in the military worked for the Department of Defense. And so basically, I did what I guess what most people do who are lawyers. I uh, attended Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, then Temple Law School, and then went on to take a master's in tax law at Villanova Law School. So I kind of hit all of the local law schools and uh, in effect, practiced um, and was also a professor at Temple Law School for 32 years, where I teach a course entitled Entertainment and Sports Law. And basically, my practice has been an amalgam of over, it sounds impossible to believe, but 50 years of practicing in a field that when I first started, it was really relatively unknown, representing God-given talents, those who have been blessed with talent, whether they sing a song, play a saxophone, write a book, sack a quarterback, and trying to help those people in their careers. So was it something in particular that you you sort of fell into or was that a more gradual process because I'd imagine people starting out or people listening might might think well you work with a lot of high profile clients now was it was it always that way or did you have to build up to it <laughs> good question Michael no I literally fell into it in that remember you're talking about a half a century ago though it sounds unbelievable. I had gotten out of the military and the Department of Defense and came back to do what every young lawyer seeks to do, get a job, put food on the table, take care of my wife and kids, and would have been happy to have a client walk in the door in any way that they walked in the door for anything they needed. And basically what happened is I had written a little book on contracts while I was with the government. And one day somebody called up and said, um, I have a friend who is in need of somebody who does contracts. And I said, okay, I didn't have hardly any clients. And he said, it's a 
artist recording contract, a management contract. And I didn't know too much about what he was talking about, but I figured if it's an artist, I'll get a painting for my office or whatever. And it turned out to be a young rock and roller. And I helped him work out his problems. And then he referred in another rock and roll group. And the irony of it is, Michael, I noticed that my hair started to grow a little longer. Uh, remember, this is in the days of early rock and roll, when yeah. everybody had hair down to their shoulders. And I had come out of the military with a burr cut. And um, I started to represent a lot of rock and rollers in their management and in their publishing and in their writing of music. And it was a field that I didn't even know there was a name for it. Um, some of my younger associates tell me I'm so old that I practiced and that Abraham Lincoln probably was my partner. So there was really no field of entertainment in the sports law. And one day I get a call from California and the guy gets on the phone and he says, attorney Remick. I said, yeah. He says, I understand you do entertainment and sports law. And it was the first time I ever even heard the term. I had never heard the term before. And it turned out, believe it or not, to be Meadowlark Lemon of the Harlem Globetrotters. And he had this third highest recognition factor in the world. Remember now, this is a half a century ago. I think it was Bob Hope, the comedian, the president of the United States and Meadowlark Lemon. And he said, I'm going to be in Philadelphia next month. I'd like to stop in and see you. <laughs> like, like I had, you know, I had an empty calendar, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I said to him, sure, let me see if I can fit you in. And I forgot about it because I thought it was a joke. And then about a month later, he showed up and I ended up helping him and negotiating his contract. And from there, um, a year or two later, I was very blessed. Um, a young man and his wife came in the door and it was to be the great, great jazz legend, Grover Washington Jr., who I was very fortunate to represent and then help manage his career for over a couple of decades. And uh, Grover became one of the legends in the world of jazz. And then I started to pick up some celebrities, I put that in quotes, because in my mind or in the mind of most of my clients, everyone is a superstar. But the whole question is whether the world recognizes you as a superstar or not. And I've represented a number and over the years, thousands of struggling young artists striving to get a record deal or to get their first book out, or movie stars to be. And then, of course, as you kind of hang around and pick up longevity, and maybe you're fortunate to do a few good deals, you start getting a higher level of known quality stars, and that's what my practice became. So I basically just about exclusively represent celebrities or recording artists or those who want to be and 
on television shows and movie deals and it's kind of like if um, you remember the movie uh, Jerry Maguire it's kind of like the Jerry Maguire of law practice uh, you were representing and in our situation we have besides our Philadelphia office I have a partner in California and so we hit both coasts and we do, we've been very blessed. We have a number of uh, National Football League football players who are, uh, once you make the league, it's, uh, you know, you have to be a star just to make the NFL. And yeah. we've represented athletes in track and field and basketball, baseball, football. And I have quite a bit of experience in the world of mixed martial arts and in professional boxing and been somewhat blessed in that I've represented some world champions and gold medal athletes. So that's it. Did he ever mention to you like how he, he found you in the first place? So it seemed like it all sparked from that, that one conversation with the globe, with the, uh, the globe trotters, if, if memory serves. So as he said, yeah, he how we did, managed to keep he, contact. He did, ironically, and um, it's funny because I do remember that vividly. Um, there was a very well-known disc jockey in Philadelphia who has since passed away, and he was kind of a close friend of mine. And one day he called me and told me he was going to stop being a disc jockey for rock and roll, and he was going to become an announcer. And he moved to California. And somehow he hooked up with the Harlem Globetrotters at the time. And um, I guess he recommended me and one thing led to another. You know, very often in life you find that life takes you, you don't take life. Um, you just don't know. Sometimes you walk down a path and something happens and fortuitously, one thing leads to another that leads to another. And that's how my entertainment and sports career got started. It's quite interesting that you say that because there's, it's very often the, the one thing that can really cause a big shift in the majority of, you know, the rest of your life almost. I mean, it seemed like that, that one conversation or recommendation has set the, uh, set the destination, I guess, for yourself, or at least the, the direction, you know? So what was it, what, what was it like after that? Well, uh, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You know, often in life, what happens is you set out on a particular course and then things you have no control over happen. Um, there, there's an analogy I use, um, and it's called, in my mind, I don't know if there's any word for it, unintended consequences. And basically, the analogy I was going to use, if you've ever shot pool, sometimes when you are lining up the cue ball, you aim the cue ball at a particular ball and maybe that show that shot goes directly in but the bounce of the cue ball hits other things and unintended consequences occur and i'm just a firm believer in life that you can 
plan a course of action and you can stick to it, but then something might come up that changes it or disrupts it. Um, in fact, in, in the book I did, I, I talk a little bit about those unintended consequences. Sometimes you can, as I said before, you walk down a street and you meet somebody, who knows, maybe you end up marrying her or whatever, and had it not been that you decided to take a walk, you would never have gone out that night. You would have never met her. And so life is a series of changes and continual things. Did I ever plan to be an entertainment and sports lawyer? Truthfully, I told you, I never even heard of the field. I thought after I came out of the military, I would work with contracts and do procurement and things dealing with corporations and things such as that. And in walks a rocker and the rocker led to another that led to another and then an athlete then a book writer, and then I got involved in a movie deal. And um, actually, many, many years ago, one of the greatest, I think, things in my career, I was the lawyer and the associate producer for a great ballet that was based on the Who's Tommy, um, one of the greatest rock and roll groups of all time, the Who. And we ended up putting a production together with Le Grand Canadian Ballet, and we brought them in, and we toured the Who's Tommy all across the country and all across the world. And so I ended up being an associate producer for a rock opera ballet. In a thousand years, I could never have imagined going through law school that I would be doing anything like that. So sometimes life works in mysterious ways. And so I am what I am. How did you start your, your book? It's two times platinum, isn't it? So what was sort of gave you the, the big idea to start writing that? Um, the book was an amalgam of many, many years of experiences and I had planned always, in my mind, to write a book um, on the entertainment and the sports world. And so approximately, believe it or not, it was 10 years ago that I started to put together the book Two Times Platinum. And at the time, I was a practicing attorney with a successful and busy practice. I was teaching at a law school and I had a variety of other things to do. And I kept saying to myself, well, I'm going to sit down and start writing a book. And it's often the way it is in life. You don't do what you say you're going to do until you actually make up your mind to do it. So two of the most important things that I found are focus and discipline. And so I literally decided, it's like going on a diet. You don't do it, you don't do it till you start. And then the question is, if you keep it up. So I made up my mind that from 12 a.m. to 3 p.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, 12 p.m. to 3 a.m., 
three hours every night for five days a week, I was going to write. And the irony of it, you know, at my age, I'm not very computer literate. So I had to teach myself how to use a computer and type. And I started to write the book and I would sit at the computer and I made up my mind, I will sit for three hours and start writing. And it took about eight months of pretty diligent every week doing Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 a.m. And I just finished the book after about eight and a half months. And then I thought, I don't think I'm going to put the book out. And so I put it away for a while. And then a couple of years ago, now, I guess one of the things we didn't talk about is I represent a fair number of authors. And I've represented uh, a couple of authors who have done some remarkable military books um, about wounded warriors and what they have to go through and their rehabilitation. And I've represented a cabinet member on his life memoirs and some novels and some regular books. So I'm kind of in the literary field, both as an agent and dealing with that kind of stuff. So a couple of years ago, I decided, I think I'm going to try to get my book published. And I wrote to a number of publishers and had a number of rejections and a number of acceptances. But in order to do the book, I had made up my mind that yes, I like to think it's a it's a fictionalized, exciting story that has some sex, drugs, rock and roll in it. It's about, as I said, the music and sports field. But at the same time, I wanted to do some teaching in the book itself. And so I have a number of comments, for example, of if someone is reading it, they might want to know how you really do put a record deal together or how does a boxer find out what terms are going to be in his boxing contract. And so I put some teaching into the book as well as what I like to believe is philosophy. And I wanted to make sure that the publisher I went with would not want to take out all those parts and just leave it to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And about six months ago, the book came out, and um, it's doing rather well. And I have now started to do some book signings at various stores, and I have a signing at the University of Pennsylvania in September, and um, some book signings in August. And then I have a very interesting situation at Villanova Law School. The professor there read the book and is now making his students read the book. And I and he will be lecturing on the philosophy in the book Two Times Platinum, because I like to think that there's a lot of pieces of philosophy that I've garnered over the years. 
that was something that I was thinking about talking about as well. So the idea that there are there are principles in there, there are philosophies in there, there are like the the pillars, if you will, or at least some some common themes or things that you think would be applicable to a lot of different places and a lot of different areas or situations. So, what could you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I'm I'm assuming that even the very title of the book that your listeners know that in the music industry, if you sell a million records, of course, it's very hard to do. And with all of the way that the internet has taken over the record industry, it becomes very, very difficult now. But if you sell a million records, you go what they call, you go platinum. So in the book, which is fictionalized, there is a young singer and she sells her soul to a mob boss who runs a record company. And in return for her doing certain things, she happens to go and sell 2 million records. So hence the title, Two Times Platinum, T-W-O, Two Times Platinum which in effect means she sells her soul and her body to get a successful music career and the consequences of that. And then there's some sports situations with a fixed boxing event and a Monday night football game. And it goes through the trials and the tribulations of this singer and her ultimate redemption with a producer and the consequences of that then there's some murder mystery in it with a trial i don't want to give away the ending so basically to answer your question specifically during the writing of the book there were certain times that i would impart little pieces of philosophy that law students and readers can pick up and digest and use or not. Um, For example, there's one thing that I just, there was an expression I came up with that I just love. And it's called, uh, in my mind, the juice, J-U-I-C-E, the juice is worth the squeeze. And what that really means in effect is, sometimes in life, if something you seek, you get, you have to pay a price for that. And the philosophy of it in the book is uh, certain things unfold, which I won't talk about. And the mob boss tells somebody, well, he went and got what he wanted. He got his juice and now he's going to pay the price, the squeeze. So the juice is worth the squeeze is something that is a truism in life. And then, of course, um, there's any number of things that life is a continual learning curve. And as we talked about before, just things that happen to you, if you can try to take the positives out of them, even some negative things, you learn. And each thing that you get in front of you is like a continual learning curve of life. And then uh, one of the things that I kid with law students about when I lecture 
is if you ever noticed the statute of justice, she is blindfolded. And so justice sometimes can really be as blind as a bat. And if you take a look, why is it that the statute of justice has a blindfold? I mean, it imparts one thing that they are open to all people of all kinds to have equal justice. But I just wonder sometimes whether there is a blindfold because justice doesn't always happen. So it, it does have some pieces of sayings in it that I have put together. And I want the readers to kind of chew on that and think about it. And of course, enjoy it. The whole concept when I was writing it, <laughs> I guess was, I kept picturing making a movie someday. And I even have thought about who I'd like to be, what parts on my <laughs> A dream team. Like uh, last night, last night in the States, they had the all-star baseball game. And so you have the best players. So I was thinking, boy, I'd love to do a movie of two times platinum. And I might have Robert De Niro as the crime boss or John Travolta. <laughs> Um, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Bacon, who's uh, and Kevin Bacon, the Bacon brothers, um, and Kevin is married to Kira Sedgwick. They would be, in my mind, great for the entertainment lawyer and his wife, and then maybe Jamie Fox or Will Smith to be the movie, uh, the uh, music producer. But they don't know anything about it, of course. Yeah, it's just in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> one of the uh, the things that sort of caught my eye, but you know, when you said that uh, the juice is worth the squeeze, that kind of reminds me of picking the the battle, so to speak, or picking the the struggle that you know that makes the most sense to you. Because I think that when you said that a lot of things do take work, you know, and it could be business related, it could be lifestyle related, relationships, you name it, and it's almost like because it. It all takes quite a lot of work anyway, no matter what you decide. It's almost like you've got to decide to put your energy towards the right things because it's all going to take work. You've got to find something that you have to find the, the juice, so to speak, that is worth the squeeze because, you know, it's, it's always going to end up that way no matter what. So you've got to be quite, uh, quite thoughtful about the journey that you decide to take. Oh, there's just no question. It's funny when uh, new clients come in or when I lecture, I always say it takes three things to become a superstar. Talent, luck, contacts, but not in that order. And in order to do all of those things, yes, you have to have some talent, but you got to be out there hustling every day to meet people, to make contacts, to do and pay your dues. It's like um, there used to be a famous agency um, it's worldwide. And the stories are that no matter what degrees you had or what, everybody started in the mailroom as a clerk, fetching the mail and fetching the coffee for the other agents. And then you had to grow from within. So life is a continual learning curve, as I say, and everybody pays their dues. We've all done it. 
So what would you say was was next for you? So we've we've covered quite a lot. We've covered a few of the principles that are in the book. We've we've talked about a lot to do with the, the principles and the lessons that you've learned. But what I guess I am quite curious about, and this, this is going to be feel, feel like a tangent now because of everything that we've we've spoken about before, is is there anything that you you've noticed? What so from the outside looking in? The, the, the lifestyle that a lot of the celebrities live or the way that they are portrayed at least or just what, what, what they're allowing us to see because a lot of it is just what they're allowing us to see we don't see everything do we so is there anything that you'd be pre- prepared to share with us that are to do with the behind the curtain so to speak of, of these sort of higher celebrities yeah I, I address quite a bit of that in the book but the reality is, um, I don't know, let's just take a, a, a football player or a basketball player uh, by way of example. If you think about, I'm trying to frame this for you in a picture, think about a triangle. And at the base of the triangle, there could be two million, three million really adequate football players and as you go up the triangle and say maybe get to high school level there could be 500,000 high school football players who think they're pretty good and if you go up the triangle to the next level there can be maybe a hundred thousand college or division one or division two good football players. But to get to the apex of the triangle, to the very top, which is in the United States, the National Football League, there might be 1,500 players and there might be two rounds of 30 some, there might be 70 to 100 really drafted in each year. And of those, maybe 20 or 30 make it. So at the top, you have maybe 20 or 30 or 50 really good football players. And at the bottom, they were picked from a couple of million. Well, those people have been, I don't want to say pampered because they've had hard lives, but from the time their extraordinary abilities have become known, They've kind of been like the big man on campus. Everybody likes them. They're well known. They, they're not the outsider for darn sure. And so the consequence is often that when somebody becomes a very well known football player or a celebrity, there's a tendency to think that even though they deny it, there's a tendency to think that the rules of life don't necessarily apply to them. They can go a little bit faster in the car. The red lights don't mean that they have to stop. When they go into a restaurant, they don't expect to wait in line like the average person has to do. They expect their table to be ready for them. They expect that somebody will comp their meals it's a whole lifestyle and the real reality the difficulty is 
that some of these people don't understand that life, as I said before, is a learning curve and it throws things at you. So you can be maybe, if you look at it, that the average life of a football player is maybe three years or 3.4 years. There's just so many years of earning power. And the truth is, once they stop that, if they haven't conserved their money or put it away, um, a lot of times I deal, and I try to deal with some of the people that I represent trying to budget their money. It's not easy to do because somebody who has had nothing and then suddenly gets a million dollar or $2 million bonus, there's a tendency to want to buy three or four cars and buy a couple of houses, and then they forget about taxes sometimes. So part of this celebrityness is getting them grounded into the reality of the world. And it's not an easy task. Some people do it magnificently well, and they go on and then they develop into other businesses. But we often hear about these million dollar athletes and celebrities who make a great deal of money and then suddenly are penniless five, 10 years later and are down and out. You know, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but there's um, a poet, I, I don't remember exactly, but I remember one of the lines and it said, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Um, you taste fame as a celebrity and just sometimes the tasting of fame can be cruel to you. Um, life sometimes is very short to be so sweet, they say. It's paradoxical. Uh, and you get a celebrity who has tasted fame. He might be a one-hit wonder in the music world. They have a very, very difficult time in the rest of their lives because once you hear the roar of the crowd and the applause, you have a hard time coming back down to earth. And if you don't have a continual success, I think it sometimes is worse that they've tasted a little success than if they kept striving and working. I mean, how many times do you hear about the wannabe movie stars who wait on tables or they're uh, a waitress or a waiter and they do all kind of odd jobs like walk dogs and et cetera, just till they get a shot. Well, sometimes if you get a shot and you become a little successful and then you can't repeat, boy, you have a very, very tough time living the rest of your life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that. It's, it's also almost like, it, I mean, did you ever have, uh, there could be clients that you've worked with, there could be just things that you've seen, because obviously you can only share so much, Lloyd, so obviously I, I do respect that as well where maybe they've been given the the success or the fame or you know whatever the case is and maybe they've they've not 
quite met the met the expectation of it because it comes with a lot of responsibility and you know a lot of people would be watching what you do and, and, and analyzing it and all those sorts of things so have you ever had someone that, that maybe struggled to to meet the demands of being that sort of successful or famous yeah well what we, we have a saying for that that life is a uh, fishbowl for celebrities they're always you know a celebrity wants to be recognized they they talk about you know their own self-identity but when they go out they want to be recognized you see it in the way they dress in the way they carry themselves but every so often you can get to a point where your celebrityness takes over your whole life and it's a very strict individual a very mature individual who can handle that and learn to live with it and live with it well and what i find and what we try to do is if somebody is starting to become successful we want them to they all talk it but they have to really understand it they have to appreciate how god-given talent has made them blessed and so they in my mind owe a duty to give back and so we try to set up charitable foundations. We have them work with the underprivileged. We have them work and be mentors to kids. There's a lot of things that can be done. And it works both ways. Not only can they do good for others, in doing it, it helps them mature and grow. So yeah, we do do a lot of that, or at least I try to. Is there any particular conversations that you've had where you've had to explain that, that side of things to them? I mean, have you used any particular strategies or, <clears throat> or gave particular parts of information to them that's helped them understand that a bit better? I, a long time ago, made up my mind that what I wanted to do if I were lucky enough to have clients and it was a time, you know, in the beginning, you wonder if anybody's going to ever walk in the door. But <laughs> once, once that happened, I made up my mind that I was not going to be a yes man to my clients and that I was going to try to do and say those things that I thought were important. Now, in honesty, I remember when I was much, much younger, a client, when he got his first, not platinum, but his first gold record, because in the early days, if uh, you got a gold record, not a platinum record. And I remember the first time that a client wanted to thank me and he gave me my first gold record to hang up on the wall. And I was so excited by that. I forgot to charge him for about five months because <laughs> I was so excited that I had a gold record. Yeah. But um, after you're into this for a while, I, I guess, I don't know I, if somebody walked in the door who was 
number one in the world or something, maybe I would be impressed. But I don't look and get impressed. I might get impressed with their talent, but I'm not impressed enough just to go along with everything they say. So my function, I don't know if you know the word governor. Sometimes you put a governor on your car so that your kids can't go over a certain number of miles per hour when they're driving. I try to be a governor of some of my clients. Some understand it and appreciate it. And in truth, there have been times when I have been told that, um, thank you for your advice. I'm going to do what I want anyway. And, you know, I try to help. And sometimes not everybody listens to you. Can I say in 50 years that every one of my clients has put away his money, has done charitable work, and has been wonderful? No, nobody is perfect. I've had some situations, disappointments, where um, especially in the world of boxing, I've represented some very, very well-known world champions. And um, they don't always listen, and they don't they do what they want to do. And you know, it's their life, it's their money, it's theirs this. You can give advice, but people don't always take it. And that's the way the world is. Yeah, it uh, must be a difficult situation for you then to be in that position whereby sometimes you just got to, you just got to accept that, you know, some people will, will go along with it. Some people won't. Some people will take what you suggest with a, a pinch of salt as opposed to like really go all in with it. So I guess it just comes with, just comes with the job, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, everybody, especially when you're dealing in this world. Um, yeah. There are disappointments and there are people that you just want to have make it they they want it so much and sometimes it's just a touch less of talent that they have or don't have sometimes it's a touch less of luck and sometimes it's a touch less of contacts and you know there's a saying i don't know if it's applicable or not everybody can't get off a burning deck at the same time not everybody is going to become a superstar. And it's just a sheer game of numbers. There are so many um, rappers, for example, right now, which is the kind of current brand of music, who are out there doing their thing. And the economy has so tightened in the music world that with Spotify and iTunes and all of these internet systems, record companies aren't as quick to give these very big record deals as they used to. So if hundreds of thousands are trying to get a record deal, it's just not going to happen for the vast, vast majority. In like manner, the, the triangle that I used, every young kid visions that he's going to uh, be a world champion football player and go to the Super Bowl and be the MVP. The numbers dictate that that's not possible. And in almost everything we do in the world and everything in life, not everybody is a Michael McDonald and has a great podcast. It just <laughs> doesn't happen that way. 
So life is what life is. Not everybody's going to make it. Have you ever had to have a conversation with someone that perhaps you you maybe can predict that they're not going to make it or maybe they can predict that they're not going to make it? Maybe they're starting to have those those conversations with themselves and they're, they're probably not coming that, out in a, in a positive light. That's a really great question because when I was much younger, especially when I was very, very involved in the music business, I remember in my early years for a period of time, I thought that I had to like what I was listening to. And it became apparent to me that, for example, I've done a lot of rock and roll. I've done a lot of folk music. I've done a lot of gospel deals. And so, and I've done a lot of rap deals. And I've learned who am I to be the ultimate judge of whether something is good or bad? Because bluntly, if a record company loves it and they're willing to give my client a good deal and give them fame and fortune, I love the music. If it's music that never makes it, then I guess there's something wrong with it. But I shouldn't be the arbiter of whether something is good or bad. Now, having said that, over the years, having not hundreds, but many thousands of pieces of music, I've learned that it's got to be something that has a chance to be what we call commercial in the traditional sense. And if it doesn't have for music a good hook or a good bridge, and it doesn't have good lyrics, yeah, a lot of times I have people that I choose not to represent. And especially as I get older, you know, I don't have the elasticity anymore to say something is terrible or not. I just choose not to represent some people because not everybody is going to make it. But I do firmly believe everybody has the right to try to make it. That's their choice. That's their decision. And, you know, I wish everyone well. But, yeah, you, if you just – the numbers dictate in the world of entertainment and sports that not everybody who thinks they're the star is going to be the star. And it's a harsh reality that people have to come to realize. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that – there's a lot of that that might go into the the book as well. So there's a lot of like stories in there. There's a lot of learnings in there, teachings in there, a lot of principles and philosophies in there as well. So just before we we sort of f finish this, Lloyd, I mean, I'm I'm very appreciative that you you managed to come on the show. And if someone wanted to find out a bit more about yourself and the book, now is your chance to share that. So where can people go to find out more about you and the book? Ah, that's great. Thank you so much. I love a plug for my book. The book is called Two Times Platinum. Um, and it's easily located, if you want, on Amazon.com, where you can just plug in my name, Lloyd Remick, or Two Times Platinum. And you can purchase it there. There's a lot of bookstores. Um, 
the publisher that I'm with is Austin McCauley. And ironically, and this is so crazy that I'm talking to a, you in London, their main office was in London. And I chose to do that because I had been to uh, the UK and London many times while touring with Grover and everybody. And I've been there for fights and every professional fights. So I kind of wanted to go with a London publisher and then they opened up a New York office. And so, yeah, the book two times platinum is available. And if you want to get more information on me, you can hit www.zane, Z-A-N-E, management.com www.zanemanagement.com or just google my name and see where I am in Philadelphia anyway I wish you all the best and hope that you all get your life's dreams and the only thing I can tell you is you got to just keep swinging the bat and keep pushing it's not easy but that's the way it happens especially in the entertainment and sports world. You got to persevere. Oh, definitely. I would, I would completely, completely agree with that. And just before, just before we go, we've got one last question. I ask all the guests this, if you've been tuning into the show, you probably know what this is. And it's, what would you like the world to know about you that you, that it doesn't already know? Well, um, I'm not trying to be trite when I say this, but early on, when I was in the military, I was actually in during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which for at least 10, 12 days, it appeared that the world was going to get really crazy and with nuclear bombs blow everybody up and that the world... They all thought, a lot of people thought it was coming to an end with everybody pushing the red buttons. And it was during that time that I really began to think about world peace. And so when I came out to practice, you have to worry about making a living and supporting your wife and kids and everything. But I was very blessed. I found that, I believe that music and sports are like common denominators in the world. And so what people maybe don't know about me so much is, I think that I've been pretty lucky because putting books out and music out and sports, all nations seem to be able to thrive on that. Maybe it'll hopefully bring about a better world and more peace. So yeah, I guess in a very weird way, um, what people don't know about me is that even my business, my practice has been viewed towards helping people help themselves get better and have a better life. Good stuff, Lloyd. Well, thanks for being a guest on the show. I appreciate you carving out the time. For those of you that are tuning in, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the future guests. And make sure you leave a review if you enjoyed the episode. Lloyd, thanks for being a guest. I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Stay well. God bless. And as always, it's a pleasure. I love your show. Thank you. Bye.